When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show for December 1st, 2020. It's questions from the audience. Timothy, Michael McKernan, and Gangster Pete in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Gangster Pete, your final week of producing TMA. This will be emotional. Yeah, this is emotional, man. I don't know, I don't know how I hold up today. Well, a lot of the questions are directed toward you. Um, That's scary. And it, it, people, people specifically, is, uh, I mean, it, I'm looking at two of the three most recent ones, and they both say, "Hey Tim," and hopefully smoke, and hopefully smoke. Well, I that's mean, they sweet. Are, they're addressing you. That is the uh, star power uh, <laughs> you have uh, have gained here, and people are going to miss you. But uh, hopefully, you will continue on with this in, in the pick six. Uh, podcast as well all of our podcasts here on the tim mckernan show on the inside stl podcast network are brought to you by ryan kelly the home loan expert.com mark Hanna, evergreen wealth strategies seth goldcamp of design air heating and cooling jim rogers of restoration one of central st louis and james carlton of the carlton state farm insurance agency in addition to our official automotive dealership is munganess st louis acura and Alton Toyota, we are very grateful for all of their sponsorships. I just got my car from Alton Toyota. Doug just got a car from Alton Toyota. And we really do wholeheartedly recommend them. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to get a car. But at this particular moment in history, I'm not really looking to uh, go out and, uh, you know, shop for cars, interact with people. I'm, I'm kind of keeping a low profile. I understand it. I've never been to Alton Toyota. I've never been to Alton Toyota, nor has Doug. You can shop online at altontoyota.com or stlouisacura.com, and then they deliver your newer used car to your work or home. Uh, they always have 200 uh, pre-owned cars available, and they have a deal for Tim McKernan Show listeners, a 2020 Acura MDX all-wheel drive lease for $349 a month. Zero down. That's a 36-month lease, tax, title, license, extra. It's at Munganest, stlouisacura.com, or altontoyota.com, the official automotive dealership of the Tim McKernan Show. Just like Ryan Kelly is our mortgage sponsor here. You're refinancing, you're buying a home, go to the homeloanexpert.com. I have, uh, well, I haven't bought a home, but I've been pre-approved with Ryan Kelly, and I refinanced with Ryan Kelly all within the last eight months. And in both cases, the process, so simple. You just go to the site. His staff takes care of it. And now, with the, with the home market as it is, with people, you know, battling to get homes, it being a seller's market, being pre-approved and being able to hand over to the seller, hey, look, it's here's my cash. I have it. You know I have it. You have an advantage over other buyers who are not. Go to thehomeloanexpert.com. And if you have not refinanced in 2020, you are leaving money on the table. I went back to look what I was paying before refinancing with Ryan in April and where things are now. 
and it, it, it really is more than a 20% difference. And all I did was just fill out some paperwork, and his staff took care of the rest. It's, I mean, my God. And all you're doing is, is interest. I mean, it might as well do it. It's, it's, it's so easy, and it saves you money. And what you can do with that money, go to the thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. So, Gangster Pete, before we go into the questions, the emails, uh, what what are what are your thoughts here as you as you say farewell and begin a totally new career outside of the broadcasting world? I, I'd say it's definitely bittersweet because I I really love being here, uh, doing Team A, doing the podcast. I enjoy creating the new stuff for the Inside STL Shop. So all that is fun. Everybody I work with on a daily basis is great, but uh, you know I. I need to improve my situation a little bit, so it's something that needs to be done, and I'm excited about the new opportunity as well. Yeah, here, here's something I'm curious about. Now we can talk about it since it's past tense. Um, I knew that you were looking for something else for a while now, and I'm, I'm curious what it's like in the, in the job market in this economic climate and in a, in a pandemic. I mean, this is something none of us have ever lived through. Or, 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 or there's just not a lot of opportunities out there right now. How would you, how would you describe it in your experience? Uh, I think it kind of depends. Like, I think for me, actually having an MBA made me, made it a little bit tougher because I was kind of overqualified for a lot of stuff or the budgets are tighter, so they, they can't allocate those kind of resources to people. So uh, depending on what kind of job you're looking for, I think it can be a lot tougher. Yeah, I would imagine that it's got to be brutal. But I, You know, we talked about this um, on the show today a little bit, Cam Jansen filling in and, uh, and, and me and Doug. I actually am bullish on 2021 overall. I don't know if I'm necessarily bullish on the first part of 2021, right. but overall, I really am. What is what is what is your opinion? And the people, yeah, I agree with friends? you, man. I mean, as soon as we can get back to somewhat normal, I think people are going to go go nuts for a little bit. I really just be do excited too. Excited to be out of the home and do things that they used to take for granted every day. That's I really I, I don't know I don't know if I'll, I'll look back on this and if we're still sitting in a similar situation on December first, twenty twenty one. Holy shit! But at the same time, if you would have said on March twelfth, which is right around when this really got serious uh, for I think the majority of the American public in twenty twenty, if you would have said nearly nine months later this is where we would be, I think people would have said there's no way, there's no way, and. And uh, and here we are. So I, I really do, you know, kind of like June-ish. That's what I'm thinking. And, you know, I guess of, of the, at least the TMA listenership, I can't really speak to the, the podcast listenership because it's, it's, it's solely emails. And with TMA, we get, you know, so right. many texts every day. So you get a good idea what the pulse of the audience is. And granted, you're talking about a specific demographic. You're in the Midwest. So it's, it's going to be a little more conservative. But, you know, I think I would err on the side of being labeled as I would consider it being realist. But I know some in the audience who are very optimistic uh, were considering our views to be pessimistic on this thing throughout the course of it. But I really do think that by the middle of 2021 that we're going to see, you know, a distinct change from where things are now to where they will be and for the better but maybe i have my 
head buried in the sand. I, I know, know personally, know. man, like when this thing first started, like I had an excuse to kind of bum around and watch TV and not do anything. You didn't feel guilty about it because you couldn't do anything. But now, I mean, I'm just ready to get out and do stuff. So I cannot wait for this. To be I over. can't imagine, you know, what is keeping because I always want to include this this context. Um you know, I, there's there there is an incredibly high probability that somebody listening to this podcast lost somebody because of COVID. Yeah. Um, I'm also confident that there are people listening to this podcast who still don't really consider it to be that serious, or that you and I were overly pessimistic and and still hold on to that belief. I don't think that's going to change because you just don't have people. I feel like as often as maybe it did 20 or 30 years ago, probably because of social media, acknowledging that they were wrong. For whatever reason, I think that is the case. Or you get your information from a bubble, and that bubble is just going to continue to provide the confirmation bias. So with with that all out there and establishing that I know this has been brutal, I mean, it's, it's been brutal. Everybody has been affected in a negative way. Take your pick of whether it's been extreme uh, with with someone passing or someone getting really sick, or it's been an economic impact, take your pick. But for me, individually, as far as something that I would consider a byproduct, not necessarily a positive, because it's tough to call something a positive from this, but a byproduct of it, to be able to spend time with my wife and my son, with, you know, and here I am, I'm doing the show for my house right now, and I've, I guess I probably did the show when you combine earlier in the year, probably a total of about four months from my home in St. Louis. Yep. And, um, you know, did the show from uh, Jupiter for a couple of months as well, but that's what we do always with spring training. That I've, I think I've been able to spend time with my son that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to, to experience. And so from that standpoint, it has been a positive byproduct amidst all of this negativity. But contrast that with you as a single guy, I would have lost my mind months ago. So I'm surprised it's kind of gotten to this point. Well, when it was nice out, golf saved my sanity. Like, that saved my life. (laughs) Without golf, I don't know. I would have gone crazy, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess maybe that's the thing that I had as well. And now, you know, I really haven't played for about a month. Um, But I just, I, I spend time playing around with my son, and I really enjoy it. Now. I will say this, and I always felt like this was one of the secrets of parenthood that isn't talked about, but I, but I got emails from guys saying, I'm glad you say this because I felt like I was being a bad father when I was thinking this, that the first six months or so are really awful. I mean, I just, I mean, you know, and I was a first-time father and not thinking I was going to be lucky enough to be a father, so... You know, I, I'm pretty. I'm coming from a pretty extreme perspective, and I still say it was it was pretty awful. So if Anna Marie had our baby in like March of this year, or if she was having our baby like you know right around now, and you're still like, okay, there's no golf, there's nothing, we're just going to be stuck <laughs> in here. That to me would be brutal. Right. And I'm sure there's somebody listening who is experiencing something. That would be brutal. But yeah, I guess you're right. Golf was the thing that you know allowed you to get out, allowed me to get out, allowed a lot of people to get out. More rounds were played in 2020 than I think most years in recent history. Yeah, and then, I mean, I'm like a huge college football fan, so, like, I can watch college football all day Saturday and feel great about it. So yeah. that, that day is kind of, like, wiped out as a problem also. 
Saturday and Sunday are that way. Now, I don't care about the NFL, but I care about DraftKings. Yeah. I still enjoy watching college football. I have no idea at this moment. I think we are going to go to Jupiter um, and essentially just do the show and then just go to the, the, the driving range every day. I think that's <laughs> what I'll do. So I, I'm anxious to see if my numbers actually drop. But, um, like, to me, if you don't have hockey, which is looking like a possibility in January – and there isn't college football. I mean, what in a this is a St. Louis sports fan in yeah, January? That'll be rough. I guess you got the Billikens. Got the Billikens, you know, once or twice every week. But that <laughs> is uh, that's that's uh, that's that's concerning here because with Cam talking about the NHL situation and then you know reading up on it, it does not look real likely that we're going to see the NHL uh, with that target date of of January 1st. You are welcome to send in questions, comments, erotic stories anytime for questions from the audience. Anything is welcome. Uh, it's really inappropriately named questions from the audience. It's just basically, hey, here's what I'm thinking, and I'm going to send you an email. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is a sponsor of this podcast, and we ask you to support the sponsor of the podcast. That's why it has been able to be around now for more than three years. Mark Hanna is online at evergreenstl.com. It is the end of the year. It is the end of the year, and you want to make sure that everything is organized, especially in a year like 2020. That is what Mark Hanna can help you with. 314-889-0503, or go online to evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He helps everyday people every day. And you need a financial advisor, just somebody that you can email or call or text a question to and get an answer immediately as opposed to guessing. God, I'm telling you, I don't know how many times I've just bounced questions off my people and had an idea that I didn't even think of before talking to them. And I really wish I would have done this back in my 20s. If you're in your 20s, your 30s, and you don't have somebody yet, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503. And another person that I can speak highly to, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. I made the switch to James Carlton. He is with State Farm in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. He has hired a staff to make sure that when you call his office, you're not leaving a voicemail and then hoping to hear back in a couple of days. You're going to get an answer right then and there. And his staff will text you. I love that. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and just say, hey, here's a reminder. Uh, you need to do this. Or, hey, just, you know, here's an op- opportunity to save some money. That's what they do. CarltonInsurance.net. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agency in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800. Make the switch. They do all the paperwork for you. It's James Carlton. Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Uh, all right, some of these I think kind of are behind the scenes uh, requests from people, Gangster Pete. Uh, there is one that uh, we're probably going to have to tap out from uh, <laughs> because it's sponsor related. Because uh, I've gone through these, um, uh, so I'll start with this one, Pete. Hate to see you go. I've loved you on QFTA and Pick 6, and I hope you can continue on with the podcast after you leave TMA this week. Here is a question. If you can do so, give us some of your favorite behind-the-scenes stories from your time with the show. 
Gangster Pete, I don't know which direction you would go, <laughs> but you do understand, of course, that the right. those of us will still be here, will <laughs> still be here. So, you know, if you could, you know, understand, you know, within those parameters. You understand about keeping it in the room. I know I don't need to say that to you, but I'm just explaining it for the audience's purpose. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for the nice words. I appreciate it. It means a lot. Uh, I mean, my favorite parts really were mostly before the show. Like when Plowsy was here, I'd get to come in and hang out with him. And I mean, he's hilarious. So like you would find out what hot takes he really was passionate about, which ones he (laughs) wasn't. And then he'd like test stuff on me. And I knew he was testing stuff on me as he like smoked a bowl. It was pretty funny. (laughs) And then Iggy every morning, like he comes in acting all grumpy. And then I'd try to lighten him up, you know, and he, he just can't stay like in that mood when you're like give him constant love so it's kind of funny to see so just like you know that and then doing the show every day is so much fun just laughing with your friends and then uh i love doing the podcast as well i'm glad people like to listen to them and then the first time i dropped the merch and it got such positive response that felt really good i was excited about that so those are some that of my was, best that was a nice memories win. that yeah. was a, that was that was a nice one i was thinking because your your giggle during segments <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to miss that. I was listening today as you were giggling during a segment, and I'm just like I, that that's 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 something because we'd never really have had that before. Not to say that the producers you know aren't involved. Obviously they're involved, but just somebody giggling along with it, and then also <laughs> openly really antagonizing the audience, and you know because I'm so which from my standpoint is a weakness. Um, I'm so, um, I don't know what the right word would be, quick to attempt to respond to and put out <laughs> fires with the audience. And you would say to me sometimes, we're microphones being around, like, why do you even fucking worry about this? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I know my wife feels the same way. Not that we don't realize that the audience is the key to the whole thing, but when, like, two guys are fighting on Facebook <laughs> or, you know, making something up about me or making something up about Doug or whatever the case might be. I think we're usually the two biggest targets of the made up stuff. Like why even worry about it? And I just, just kind of like, yeah, that's a refreshing, you know, it's a refreshing approach. It's a refreshing approach. Again, not to say that we didn't appreciate the audience. There's a difference between appreciate the audience, not appreciating the audience and, and allowing crap like on Facebook to dictate your mood or something going on in a text inbox or an email or something like that. And as I would say about the Plowhawk and being envious of his, just this is life and I'm cool with it and I'm not looking to become a multimillionaire uh, approach, your approach is something that from the beginning, really, uh, I have admired. And and some of your friends, such as G-Unit, another guy um, who we both know, have said this is really just the way that he is. He's just, this is the way that he is. I, I admire that. How do you, how do you, how do you get that? Is it just, is it just the way you've always been? Or is this something that you had to learn from, from uh, trial and error? I mean, I learned over the years that there's, like, when I was younger, I mean, I would talk trash to anybody that talked trash back to me, or, you know, like, started stuff. And then I just realized that you get nothing out of that. And then, I become comfortable knowing that my friends and my family, they, they love me, you know? So, like, if they had a problem with me, I would be concerned about that. If some stranger on Facebook says something that doesn't know anything about me, I do not care. You know, there, 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 that, there is something uh, to be said for that. I think I've, I've said it before with, uh, you know, and, and it's not necessarily like the fan page, but I'm talking about how media outlets now will take screenshots of 
clear burner accounts right and then use them for news stories <laughs> so and, cheap. i mean use them for news stories and this is this is across the board it's not limited to a conservative or liberal it's just it's it's standard practice now there was backlash for xyz celebrity or there's outrage over and then they show screenshots of, but but so-and-so received support from one user who said, and then it's a screenshot from somebody with a bunch of numbers in their, you know, or dog avatar or flag avatar, whatever it is, an obvious bullshit, you know, person hiding behind something. So, you know, that's why with respect to the fan page, and although I know there, there are some burners there, most of the people are using their real names, and I think that's why the thing is able to exist, you know, at least at this point for four and a half years. But I agree with that. In general, if your friends and family are cool with things, that is, I mean, it, I mean, what else, when it really gets down to it, what else matters? The tough thing for us is, is that we are in part a perception business. Whereas, like, if you're Nick Saban or Bill Belichick, you can be an asshole and, they, and people go, well, God, he's an asshole. But, you know, they win Super Bowls. They win national championships clearly whatever they're doing it works and in this one it's different and then it's like hearsay which is bullshit it's like you know if you get a story from an ex-wife or an ex-girlfriend or ex-husband or ex-boyfriend somebody with an axe to grind and then it becomes reality and that's something and there's no way to fight it there's nothing that we can do about it because there is no number that is public consumption the number that matters is advertising dollars but that's not public consumption we know what that is i suppose downloads but i don't think that's public um, but I mean, we have them. We we know what the downloads are for our show. We know what the downloads are for other shows. So we you know know where things stand. We know what the advertising dollars are for our show. But that's a, that's a, that's a that's a that's a fine line to walk because you really can't make those things um, public. Hey, Tim and Smoke, why do you think so many people believe in Donald Trump? Not why they love him, but why do you think they believe in him? Thanks. That's from the Hunchback of Vaughn Castle. <sighs> All right. I think I have an answer to this, but I'm going to yield to Gangster Pete. Yeah, I'd just say it depends on where they get their media from, I, is, would be my opinion. I think, I, I assume, by the way, the Hunchback of Vaughn Castle's question is applying to those who are still adhering to, you know, there was fraud, there, you know, um, whatever whatever story it is that he he continues i mean he's not this hasn't really changed <laughs> i got a buddy are, that still says it's not over yet <laughs> uh, is that the guy who left your group chat or is it somebody yeah, else he's come back and now he's, oh he's back yeah he's back and he's posting things from a guy called the wizard all day <laughs> the my draft king guy <laughs> it's just called the wizard and he's got all this inside information on how this thing's gonna turn <sighs> is this like q <laughs> i don't know man i he claims that he has nothing to do with that Oh, do you think there's a you think it's a possibility he's a QAnon guy? No, I don't think so. Wow, I mean, so my answer to the the question that as as it was posed is is the following: that I don't think they necessarily believe in him so much it is because they love him, they believe in him. So that's that's the answer. So I think it's a cause and effect. So you ask, uh not why they love him. Well, I'm telling you they believe in him because they love him. That's the answer to the question. I know this might sound like a mind fuck or a mind puzzle, but that's that's what my honest answer is. I, I don't know what the percentage is of people. I think, Pete, that if things were for certain the way we thought they were 
the morning after the election where it looked like the Democrats would have the White House, the Democrats would still have the House, but the Republicans would have the Senate. I think that there would be more calm. Um, But because of the Georgia situation and how, A, Trump has to try to navigate, you know, campaigning for people in Georgia to try and keep the Senate control and talking about getting out to vote all while he's talking (laughs) about the fraud. (laughs) They're in a weird spot. I mean, they've been in a weird spot ever since this started. But now people are kind of sort of distancing themselves and hoping that they can exhale, but they really can't. Even Roy (laughs) Blunt, who I think even though he doesn't necessarily line up with where I am personally, I know most people don't, especially in in the St. Louis area, uh, but even he has to go, well, you know, you don't know. I mean, you know, and obviously the Josh Hawley thing is, you know, that, that, that train left the station a long time ago, and I'm anxious to see how, how far off the rails that one continues to go as he gets ready for 2024. Um, but I think that that's what's holding, holding it up uh, is the Georgia situation. So what we thought the morning after the election now is a little different than where it is, and I think that contributes to it. Because we're approaching a month since the election, and we are still, you know, in a spot where the president, it's just kind of like normal. It's like, yeah, the president continues to tweet that there was massive fraud, and people just kind of ignoring it, minus, <laughs> I used to say 35%. I think the number is down now. I, I realize oh, this, I think it's uh, definitely down. Yeah, if, what, what, where do you think we are? These are our arbitrary percentages on the pot. I mean, I'd where say 15 to 20%. Yeah, I was going to go 10 to 15%. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You got the hardcores that just aren't ever going to give up. So you're, you're the wizard and your guy in your group chat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, how do you guys handle that guy? Because it's one guy. Uh, well, it's one guy, and then there's there's a couple other guys that I think want to believe, but then uh, my other friends who are on the other side, they just kill him all day, and he comes <laughs> back all day. I mean, it's exhausting to be honest. <laughs> I like to poke at him just for fun, like it's fun for me. Like I just give him a little jab, and then he'll go off. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted, pal. It is. Uh, it's it's something else. But anyway, to answer the Hunchback of Von Castle's question, I think the answer is why do people believe in him? It's because they love him. And they can't accept, and I don't think they ever will, by the way, that he would. Here's the thing, by the way. Had he, and I realize this is, you know, this is like when Cam asked me this morning, would I be first in line for the vaccine? And the reality is, of course, I wouldn't be allowed to be first in line for the vaccine. We're talking about the COVID vaccine. So I realize I'm presenting here a hypothetical that, of course, is not realistic. But one of the reasons why so many people who and I think would I would include people who voted for Donald Trump are tuning him out right now. I mean, just not even paying attention. Like, I guess maybe a little drop by just to see the amusing thing under the <laughs> tweets where it's saying this, you know, this is a, this is not proven to be true. And, you know, Twitter has to handle his account like that is had he conducted himself like take your pick of any president in our lifetime, I guess with the exception of Bill Clinton. But obviously, you know, I mean, there's, you, can, you can draw a parallel, I suppose, suppose, with I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky, and the stream of, you know, just lies that we've seen from the White House over the last four years. And that lie, but I just don't think Bill Clinton had a high trust factor with the country, even with Democrats. 
that if Barack Obama, if George W. Bush, if even Bill Clinton, but less so Bill Clinton, if George H.W. Bush, if Ronald Reagan, and I realize, you know, with the exception of H.W. Bush, those were all two-term presidents, but if they would have said after they lost a presidential election that there was fraud, it would be the story and continue to be the lead story until an investigation is fully completed. And yet you turn on, and I still watch nightly news, uh, you know, in addition to reading, and now it's like, yeah, you know, Donald Trump continued to, and and people just like, yeah, he's doing it. And at this point now, for way more than 65% of the country, it's just the boy who cried wolf, and they're just tuning him out, just kind of waiting to see if he'll ever concede. (laughs) Do you think he ever will concede? Like, ever concede? Man, I don't know. I think it's funny watching him talk from behind that tiny desk, though. <laughs> the tiny desk. I, I really don't care if he does or not, man. Just, I mean, it's yeah, over. People, I think most people at this point have moved on. I mean, my, my premise wasn't that he would never concede. Uh, my premise was he wouldn't concede. Like when I'm talking about my premise for believing that this would be something we've never seen before and having a great deal of fear with the combination of the election and either Trump winning and the left freaking out or Trump losing and him refusing to concede and his supporters freaking out uh, all along with, with COVID and economic uncertainty. But I figured at some point he would concede and then leave. Um, I, I think, I, you know, yes, last week he was asked, of course I'll leave, you know I'll leave, but... I, there's still massive amounts of fraud. So I don't know. I don't know if people just don't think that he. I, I don't know what people think is going to happen between now, December 1st, 2020, and January 20th. I guess the next date on the timeline would be when the Electoral College meets and votes, because yeah. that could be a moment in history that, you know, if, if we have a rogue situation, that that could be. I don't know. I mean, because otherwise, then it's just kind of like, okay, now we're in the four corners offense and we're just kind of waiting until December 20th. I mean, people say, I wonder if you can come back after Christmas. I, and again, this is, I'm not talking about like, I'm, you know, like accredited people here. I'm just talking about like people wondering how this is going to play out a missed conversation. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be he'll continue to contest. Like, will he be on that platform sitting there? As Joe Biden accepts the oath of office and, and has his hand in the air, you know, taking taking his oath of office, will Donald Trump be sitting there? Let me ask you that one. What about that? He, not a concession, but will he be sitting there? What do you think? I, I doubt it. <laughs> you really don't think so? I mean, I doubt it. I know. I mean, isn't that just, I mean, you know, I mean, there, I've, so some, you know, people just continue to say this is a coup playing out. And again, I'm talking about media pundits. I'm not talking about like you know an overwhelming majority of the population at all. Like you, I'm I'm in the I'll, I'll use the number of 85 percent of the country. Just like oh, Joe Joe Biden's won, whether I like it or not. Joe Biden has won, but I think that I'll, the vast majority of the country also thinks that this is just going to just go away. And I guess it's possible, but he hasn't really stopped. <laughs> 
You know, I mean, he hasn't released. I I don't follow Donald Trump on Twitter. I'll drop by every now and again just to <laughs> see what the word is, but I do not follow him on Twitter. Uh, so let's see. So an hour ago, watch live Michigan State Senate hearing on oversight holds hearing on election fraud. Uh, two hours ago, he tweeted something from OAN. It looks like my set at KOMU <laughs> back in the 90s. Uh, two hours ago, he retweeted Sean Hannity saying something or another. Two hours ago, he tweeted Tucker Carlson. Uh, I, mean, I guess he just retweets. Uh, let's see. Uh, do something, Brian Kemp. Yeah, so he's going after Brian Kemp, who is like his guy. Now Brian Kemp, who's um, in, in Georgia and obviously the situation with the governor of Georgia. Uh, you allowed your state to be scammed. We must check signatures and count signed envelopes against ballots, then call off election. It won't be needed. We all win in caps. I mean, that was two hours ago. Two hours ago, we won Michigan by a lot. I mean, <laughs> he's Bancy with 60 minutes, too. Because <laughs> oh, I know that because the of, guy the, he the put Krebs, in charge. Krebs interview, yes. Yeah. So, who, by the way, is Republican. Yeah. But either way, I, I mean, I just, you know, when is it going to stop? I mean, when is it going to stop? I, it, so, I don't. I don't know if we're just like watching this thing burn in like a month. <laughs> we're going to go, or, or less than a month. I guess a couple of weeks. Isn't it December fourteenth? The electoral college meets. Uh, uh, yeah, I think California got certified the eleventh or something. Okay, so I mean, and we'd go, holy shit! How did we not see this? He always tells you what he's going to do. I mean, everybody. I think everybody, at least people paying attention. I always would like it when I would ask the question on the fan page or talk about it on the show, like, do you think he'll concede the election? And the people who are voting for him would go, of course he will. And I'd go, do you really think that this man is going to stand there on election night or whenever the results are certified and say that the that, that he's going to congratulate Joe? But, like, there was no way. Like, that was so obvious to me. It was like, bet everything you have that it's not going to happen. Not because I'm like a soothsayer, but that's just it's just not in his makeup. It's not in his makeup to say he lost. And so I don't know if he can sit there as Joe Biden accepts the oath of office and there is a smooth transition of power. I hope he can. It would mean a lot. Um, but if he still is tweeting on January 21st <laughs> that he won, I mean, I just it, it, like he's not stopping. It just continues to go on. But at this point, people just have tuned it out. He keeps moving the goalposts. Uh, I'm kind of enjoying the show, to be honest. <laughs> If it if if we get to listen, I, I keep saying the same thing. If we can get to January twentieth and he is out, and there is calm among the vast majority of the electorate, there is not violence, and we really have that vaccine getting to people, and you know, like we well, we can't by January twentieth. No, I'm not talking about the long term effects, which certainly, if you know, ideally is there there aren't any, of course, hopefully, but I'm talking about the long term ability to combat the virus. If we can get there, I go back to what we said on the radio and the podcast. I am so bullish on on where things will be in the second half of 2021. And I would have said that, by the way, had Donald Trump won, because it wasn't about who won the White House. It was about Americans feeling appreciation for something that we took for granted this time last year, and that is normalcy. Uh, so I think there will be a boom. I really do believe that. I, it's not me telling myself that. I really do believe it. And that, I would have said the same thing if Donald Trump would have won. Um, but in this case, I think for the vast majority of the country, if you have a Democratic House, a Republican Senate, and Donald Trump out of the White House, uh, I think people across the board would feel like, oh, wow, we stumbled into the best-case scenario. 
this isn't that bad considering what we were worried about, but we've got to get there, and we're not there yet. And that's the thing that I just can't exhale from. So uh, hopefully uh, that will be the case all again while the COVID numbers are are where they are. Uh, This one is interesting to me, Pete, and I know you don't don't see them, but I see them, uh, the senders. And I know this gentleman who sent this in, and he says this, uh, good morning, Tim. Hope you guys uh, had fun in Sanibel. Our family goes yearly as well. Great spot. Today's question, preface, I vote right and voted for Trump. Just fall in line with conservative principles. He's understating that because uh, I know this gentleman. I don't know him personally, but I, he sent in a lot of stuff over both via text and emails over the last um, eight, nine months. And I would I would describe this person as really conservative in comparison to the majority of our um, audience. I would actually say, because I saw there was a poll um, on the fan page asking, uh, do you think the fan page leans right? Do you think the fan page, again, the majority of the users lean right, lean left, or for the most part down the middle? And I, and, and I saw that overwhelmingly it was getting voted on lean left, and I actually think the answer is, now of course this is super subjective, is I think the majority are actually conservative in, as, as far as political principle goes. I mean, like, like I, I, again, I'd, I'd parlay that with my Trump wasn't going to concede thing, but here is, here is the variable on it. They're not fans of Donald Trump. Right. And so and so you had people who either, you know, would post things, opinions, not necessarily like memes going, God, this is a disaster. And then it makes it look like if you're a Trump fan that, that therefore you're not a Republican because the Republican Party's identity at this moment is Donald Trump's. So I think you have a number of people who are Republicans, including the vast majority of Republicans in Washington, D.C., who are cringing and have been cringing at what's gone on the last few years and wondering what the hell has happened just like i think some people who are democrats going what the hell has happened with some of this you know whether it be defund the police or canceling people on social media or we're you know going to appeal to like a 0.1 percent of our uh, uh, voting base with issues that are going to turn off 99.9 percent or are not important to 99.9 percent on the left so I think that's, that's, I think, if I were to give a characterization, again, this is of our audience. This is not of the country. Because, again, you're talking about overwhelmingly college-educated white males in the Midwest who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. I mean, that's, that's, that's our audience. And that, of course, is not representative of the country. But you get caught up in that bubble, and then you start going, oh, okay, this is the way everybody thinks. Well, that's the way everybody in this bubble thinks. But specific to this question from this email or this gentleman I would tell you is truly conservative and I would have thought would have been a Donald Trump guy and he does say preface I vote right and voted for Trump just fall in line with conservative principles Um, how on earth does Trump not have a better attorney than Rudy Giuliani (laughs) he's like 80 years old isn't Trump a billionaire he should have the best attorneys in the world Personally, I think he needs to drop the case. There likely was fraud, but minimal in my opinion. There's probably a small amount of fraud in every election. Anyway, he looks foolish continuing to insist there's major fraud and he'll be be president. Even more foolish with Giuliani. And Sidney Powell? The accusations (laughs) she made against the software company the other day, if true, 
would be the biggest crime in history, but she provides zero factual evidence. What in the world are they doing? <laughs> I'm hopefully the White House will go back to Republicans in 2024, but this is a terrible look for now. Thanks. That comes from Juan Pablo Sandoval. So, again, I, I only because I don't and again, I don't know the person, but I know I recognize the name um, because if I'm not mistaken, and I'm obviously not using his real government name. He, he was really critical, I think, in particular of me. I think you kind of caught some of the shrapnel, Pete, on our initial comments back in March regarding the pandemic which at the time I didn't even think of as being political. I think Doug was with us on it as well. And then it became a political thing. Right. Um, but the first couple of weeks of TMA during maybe first week and a half of TMA during the pandemic, I enjoyed doing the show. I hated the situation, but enjoyed doing the show because I thought we were having really healthy kind of therapeutic discussions. And then it became political and I hated it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, and, I saw that switch. <laughs> What, what do you think? What caused that, you know, now that you're on uh, on your way out and we can kind of look back on some things? I don't know exactly what caused it, but I definitely remember you enjoying, like, having the conversations, and then all of a sudden there's, like, a light switch. Brutal. Like, brutal. I do not want to do this anymore. It's brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal. This has easily, easily, I mean easily, been the toughest year of hosting TMA in the shows with I mean there isn't and, and I want to say this and I for those who've listened for a long time I've, I've talked about 2007 which was you know Martin had quit Joe producer Joe had gotten fired and then they fired the cat and brought in Bob Fesco and so help me I can still picture it making the right turn I think the street was Old Orchard or Orchard Avenue to go to the studios of KFNS and Webster Groves and I would inhale and exhale not as some <laughs> kind of meditative strategy but just because i'm like okay this is going to be a living hell for the next few hours and i just got to get it through i got to not only get through it but i got to keep my cool and not lose my shit on the radio um that that's how bad it was and i truly was i really was i because i'm careful to th with this word because i know there are people who truly suffer for it from it but i was depressed i was depressed in the first half first few months of 2007 and even with including that context into it, and it was because of the show, I was 100% professional, um, but it certainly impacted my personal relationships without, without question. Uh, the stuff with the man and the woman thing um, was, uh, I don't know, I, didn't, I guess I always kind of knew how that was going to play out, and, and, but the audience was aware of it all. I didn't need to say anything. Right. And, that, and so that made it, uh, that, I don't want to call it, easy because he was trying to bait me also but that was at that point first off I'd survived 2007 and I recognized the strategy and also I just knew what I was up against and it wasn't going to be a really tough you know win but, it, but the audience knew and that was so helpful uh, so with 2020 so many things uh, have gone on that the audience doesn't know about and it's a really tough spot or, or I guess I, I actually would say this, that not just the audience, but I actually have family members. Um, not, not like I'm not like talking about like QAnon family members. I'm talking about <laughs> with regard to the show who, who like, you know, read the paper. And then I think, you know, it, I think they're like, oh, that, you know, what, and I go, well, that's not, well, that's not true, though. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, 
you know, that, that's that's actually not happening. Here's the, you know, and here's why it can't happen, and here's this, and here's that, and, and they go, oh, well, then why is it in the paper? And I go, no, I don't, I don't have an answer for that part. I just know that it's actually not true, but I can't say that. I, can't, <laughs> I, I, can't, I have like, an answer. <laughs> well, I, I know you do, and you might want to share it at some point, you know, in a week. But I, I can't, and so I got to just kind of, you know, just do the show, and then people are like, man, this is really, it reminds me of, um, it really does. There is an absolute parallel. I was t- for some reason, I was talking about this with Chris Raby uh, a few days ago. We were talking about, um, I don't even know what the hell we were talking about. We were on the phone. We were all been on the phone for a while. There is a, an absolute parallel to uh, when I left KMOV in 2005, which was like a no-brainer thing. Um, I mean, real straightforward, uh, Steve Savard was the sports director Doug was the the number two guys was called the department and I was the number three guy so I anchored Saturdays Doug anchored Fridays Savard anchored Sunday through Thursday and hell I was thrilled to be there I mean I was 23 when I started there and and because the public perception was well if you're on TV you're making a bunch of money and if you're on radio well that's nice but it's supplemental that if I were to leave television that that I had to have gotten fired but that was not true. And, you know, Savard knew it, but I couldn't say anything because KMOV theoretically, theoretically, could have kept me from doing radio because my non-compete included any broadcast in the St. Louis metropolitan area, not just television. But Alan Cohen, the general manager, allowed me to do radio because he knew that I just really didn't want to stay there and and that was it but the station the people in the inside thought i got fired and then the audience thought i got fired and it drove me up the wall and to my dad's credit he said timmy people are going to think you got fired don't leave there and plus he was involved in radio and it just left himself a year beforehand and he didn't really like the stability of it uh and he said i don't know he was really against it so that bothered me because a large portion of the audience thought things that were not true, and I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say anything for a year. Uh, And back then, I acted like a complete ass about it because it bothered me so much. Now, it bothers me, but I'd like to think I don't necessarily act like an ass about it. I just deal with it, and it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a whatever, but it's, you know, it's in the whole scheme of things, it really doesn't. Like, Pete, you said about the criticism from randoms. It's like, okay, I mean, my wife knows the truth. My family knows the truth. Yep. You know, guys like you know the truth, you know, it, it, Doug the cat, you know. That's what's important, well, Tim. Yeah, and that's, and that's what's important. So that's what you kind of focus on. So, but with regard to doing the show and 2020, obviously we've had, I mean, you're gone now. Uh, the cat's gone. The plowhawk's gone. So half of six people who I thought I was going to be working with for like, you know, into 2030 are no longer part of it. Plus, you've had two topics that are the stories of the year, and we couldn't talk about them. Yeah. We could, but it will automatically blow up the show, the pandemic and the election. And so that's why I think I've loved doing QFTA even more this year. I've enjoyed doing it before 2020 because this is where I can talk about these things and just give my honest opinions. And I guess maybe that's why it's, it's increased in popularity in 2020 um, because, you know, for people who are wanting what 
even if they don't like it, honest opinions like this person's obviously a Trump person. Me and you are obviously not Trump people, but he's listening. It's not like, oh, you voted for Trump. You're a racist and you're stupid. You know, we, you, don't, <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get that shit here. Uh, if anything, I understand it. Um, I didn't do it, but I understand it. I've done it. <laughs> yeah, and you have done it, Pete. You just didn't do it this time yeah. around. So, you know, so with regard to, to that, it, it really has been. And um, I guess that should be obvious um, to the audience, but maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, we just really don't talk about it. I certainly don't talk about it on the radio show and to an extent here. But, but also, I mean, taking it out, it's, it's been one of the toughest years, I would imagine, for any human being in 2020 who has been around for, you know, a couple of decades as a minimum. Uh, you know, because as I said when I was talking about the, the byproduct of being able to be around my wife and son so much without really anything to do and just being able to spend time with them, that you've been either affected health-wise personally because somebody you know has gotten it and either still dealing with it or passed from it, and of course the economic ramifications, which I don't know who hasn't been immune to that. I know some businesses has act- have actually thrived because of the circumstances, but as far as the majority of the population, economic impact. So across the board, this has been um, just, I mean, a, an, an historic year. I was thinking of this, and I know it's a really unpleasant thought, but I mean, you know, sometimes I think of it, and this is my little honest uh, spot here with this podcast. And I don't think we've ever talked about this one, Pete. Imagine, and, and if you want to fast forward, fast forward about two minutes, because I don't want it's like a spoiler uh, <laughs> for the undoing. Um, which I do want to discuss oh. with you, yeah. But um, uh, so, if really, if you don't want to be in a negative state of mind, just fast forward through this part, and I'll give you. I'll be here. I'm going to give you time actually, because Jamie Burkhardt from Munganast just uh, sent me the December specials um, for Munganast for December. I'd like to keep the TMA special on the MDX the same, extended through January 4th. How about that? The 3.49 a month has had a great response. God bless the audience. Thank you for supporting the sponsors. StLouisAccurate.com and uh, AltonToyota.com. It's Munganest. Uh, work into the mix for Toyota, a new 2021 Tacoma pickup, uh, Sport 4x4 for the same, 36 months, 349 a month per month, zero down plus tax title license. Um, uh, and he says, I love the fact that you say, heck, I'm driving a Toyota just like Doug, and I've never been there. They deliver, and that is indeed the case. I have never been to Alton Toyota and I have a car. I've had a car from there for now for uh, a few months. And um, in a major way, that is the truth. You can order online, and they deliver it to you. That is the truth. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then this is just some uh, stories of, uh, uh, oh, he said Iggy, a uh, friend requested him on Facebook, and he's really excited about it. So there <laughs> you go. <laughs> so there it is. Jamie Burkhardt, Munganast. Uh, I love that sponsorship relationship we have. They really are. They're outstanding. It's Munganest, stlouisacura.com, altontoy.com. Okay, now here's what I was going to ask. I've given people time. Skip ahead. What if, from a psychological standpoint, an economic standpoint, but psychological more so, mental health, that you start taking the vaccine, everything seems like it's cool. People are starting to return to normalcy across the world, not just in parts of Australia and New Zealand. And everything is trending that way in the middle of the year and then for whatever reason then a couple months something happens i don't know if it'd be a mutation of the virus i don't know if it'd be a new virus there is a flaw with the vaccine whatever some circumstance like that and now you have to go back 
into this mode. Brutal. Psychologically, I'm presenting that gangster Pete, your reaction. Oh man, it'd be brutal. You think you're out of it? You're starting to enjoy life again? I mean, it'd just be brutal. Yeah. And I thought about that. And I don't know why I do this to myself. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not into BDSM or anything like that. But I have these masochistic thoughts. Uh, and I just thought, because I'm like, okay, I really do, and I'm so excited for it. You know, whenever the time comes, because I think it's coming within the next seven months, of you know. A, a really like a reappre- there's if you've ever seen the movie A Christmas Carol I know there's the book and most people have read it but the film with the great George C. Scott University of Missouri have I've seen, seen it yeah the appreciation he has for life specifically Christmas for the purpose of that movie but life and Christmas once he survives that night and then the ghost of Christmas past present and future and I think there will be something not necessarily that extreme but for the vast majority of the population if and when you can return to just going to Enterprise Center to watching a Blues game, if and when you can go to Bush Stadium, Furrow Field, that's one that I really miss. That's because I still like to go to the regular season college football games. That's, to me, the, the, the thing. I mean, that's, that's a whole thing as opposed to just, like, driving downtown and, and sitting there. I mean, that's a you know, make a whole day of it, whether it's Columbia. I went to South Bend last year. So fun. That, that's the best, man. And to be able to return to that. And then people, you know, the reality is, I mean, it's, it's tough because – in one column, if you're talking about each individual's budget, like a, like, a, like, a, like a business's budget, you know that revenue, salary, income, dividends, whatever the case is, how you make your money, is, is a good chance that it's down year over year. But also on the other side of it, it's very likely that expenses are down year over year. So ideally, there is some semblance of a positive margin there. I know that that is not the case for, for everyone and those of you who have not had that don't want to hear it this way but for those who have had it there is money saved so we have some sponsors for example who have had business uptick because they're associated with home building or or working on homes and people are stuck at home and so they're taking care of these projects because they haven't spent money on travel or restaurants or social activities sports whatever the case might be and so ideally some of that money that has been saved in 2020 will be spent in 2021 and you will have a boom that is why i am bullish on it in addition to the psychological impact um so you know i I think through these things i really truly am full of hope and optimism and and i know you know i think there's some credibility on that because you know we've been saying throughout 2020 this is going to get worse um and 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 happen to be to be right on that so hopefully we'll be right on the optimism with regard to this gentleman who as i was saying at the outset is is i I would consider for our audience to be on the um not like crazy conservative side but you know more conservative side and scolding me for COVID opinions uh i don't have an answer as to why rudy giuliani is donald trump's uh (laughs) I, i i suppose i can just give you theories nobody else will take it um but then i'd go well i mean you can make so much money, even if you're like, this is going to destroy my career and credibility. Uh, I'll make, you know, millions of dollars taking the case. I don't, I don't have, I don't have it. Uh, the Sidney Powell thing for Tucker Carlson. And, I, and now I'm talking to like 2% of the audience who even know who I'm talking about with all of this, but Sidney Powell to go on and, and she did. So then you had these guys, you know, some of them, Pete, we know who are then posting video of the Sidney Powell interview on Tucker Carlson and how she had the bombshell and then the evidence got lost in the mail. I mean, t- this is a real thing. This isn't like a joke. And then all of a sudden, then she just 
said, okay, there isn't going to be any evidence, and then the Trump team said that she's not part of the Trump team. It's, it's, it's absurd. Um, I don't have an answer for it, um, but it continues to play out. I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder this, and I know that me and you don't fall into this category, but I wonder for people who did vote for him, if they see what's gone on over the last month and it makes them regret their vote. What do you think on that, Pete? Oh, I'm sure there's some people that feel that way. No yeah, doubt. I wonder what like the percentage would be. Like, is it is it more than 10%? I know people wouldn't say it on social media because you can't acknowledge you were wrong. Because for me, this I guess I didn't necessarily think it would play out like like we'd still be doing this a month later uh, with like the tweets and the and there's actually you know, but I, I didn't expect him to concede that night. That was the, that was my expectation and that was like a lock to me um but if the conduct makes people go god how did i how how did i you know and in like 10 years we'll go yeah i voted for him you know kind of like i'm i'm ashamed like i voted for george w bush in 2000 i'm kind of ashamed of that well that's how i feel about voting for trump the last time like i'm like how did i how did i do that (laughs) yeah i i well you but you have an answer you've told yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's mom, true, but it wasn't still like, you're like, this guy's great. You know, it still feels dirty. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I was never considering voting for him, but I, I, I wasn't excited about voting for Hillary Clinton. I'll tell you that. wasn't excited about voting for Hillary Clinton. I wasn't really excited about voting for John Kerry, not to the level of my excitement for Hillary Clinton, but I was voting against George W. Bush, and I voted for George W. Bush in 2000. So I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know, like, kind of like, you know, like, you know, once there's some distance on things, you can talk more openly about them. Um, you know, like in 10 years, you'll have people go, yeah, I voted for him. I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, I really didn't like Hillary Clinton. I know it looks really bad now, but I don't know how that'll play out. Or if we'll have people like in Trumpism is still going on and then there's a new representative of Trumpism, Josh Hawley, perhaps as a local example, uh, you know, as a young guy could be, I don't know. I don't know how it'll be 10 years from now, but I, I'm curious if people regret it now a month later. Uh, this one was one of our favorite um, emails we got, and the gentleman who wrote it, Pete, has said we can give his name. Uh, it was the one who wrote in last week <laughs> and was just, I mean, so <laughs> fucking pissed off about the way email. Joe Buck would end his uh Interviews. I would read it again, except it's pretty long, and so <laughs> I would just say go back to last week's QFTA to listen to it. But the gentleman has come forward, and he said, Hey, Tim, I just listened to your response to my below questions. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts. Pete was right. I think this was therapeutic for me. You're certainly <laughs> welcome to use my full name, Tom Reedy. This was my first QFTA email, but I'll try not to be a stranger. Uh, thanks again. Love the show. It's from Tom Reedy. And he was just, I mean, fired <laughs> up about the way that certain interviews will come to a conclusion, specifically Joe Buck's television show. And when he had Derek Jeter on as a guest, <laughs> and I think the question was, would you rather look like Jar Jar Binks or sound like Jar Jar Binks? And Tom was very unhappy that some of the time that Joe Buck could be conversing with <laughs> Derek Jeter was spent on an asinine question, and then he played out what the upside was as if he could give a thought-provoking answer to, (laughs) you know what, I'd rather look like him, and here's my reason, Joe. And he was just, I mean, this is a monster email, and he was so fucking pissed off about it. It was wonderful. (laughs) 
I found um, myself thinking about that email a couple times since the show, just like I, chuckling to myself. Like, I have really, uh, I really enjoyed that email. So yeah, Tom, I'm glad you will not be a stranger. All right, how about this one? I'm anxious to hear your response because I think we're going to differ on this, Gangster Pete. I. Tim and Smoke, hope all's well. Smoke, good luck in your new endeavor. Thank Apologies you. in advance for the length of the email. I figured you both would be interested in this topic. I'm confident I am not the only one writing in about this. If either of you didn't see it, Dave Chappelle put up an Instagram post about his show being streamed on Netflix and HBO. He explains when he signed the contract to do his show with Comedy Central in the early 2000s, it appears he signed away his right to his own content. Fast forward to this month, both HBO and Netflix are streaming his show. He goes on to say he knows he signed the contract, but he doesn't like that they can do whatever they want with the content. He asked both to be removed from the respective platforms. Netflix removed the content, but I don't believe HBO did. Since no one can help him change the contract, he's asking the fans to specifically not watch his show on places it's streamed, I guess, until he gets the rights. My question is, do you agree with what Chappelle is doing and asking his fans to boycott his show until he gets his rights? Your answer may simply be no. I know, Tim, you have stressed the importance of owning your own content, so maybe this is pretty straightforward for you. Generally speaking, I agree that the contract is the contract. Both parties signing are adults that can make their own decisions. I will also admit that I'm a huge fan of Chappelle, so maybe I'm giving this more thought than deserved. In terms of getting his start, I think it's factual to say that Comedy Central definitely aided him in a big way in his long-term success. Maybe the contract itself wasn't great, but they gave him a budget and a platform to become famous. Would he have become famous without them? I think so because of his talent, but regardless, Comedy Central did play a big part as far as his history goes. He does mention that he really needed the money when he signed the contract, so he felt he had to. He even jokes at times during the show that he has a low budget slash salary. I don't know what he's talking about with that, because uh, Chappelle was making a shitload, but maybe he's talking about it at the very beginning. I don't know. I'm, I digress. This makes me think about people entering into bad contracts depending on their situations. The Rams signed a bad deal knowing this may be their only shot at a second term. I don't know what that one means. I think maybe he means the city of St. Louis, because I, I think he meant yeah, that could instead be of term. Uh, so that's what I think there. I, I'm editing. I'm guessing what the author meant. Not always, but in some cases, kids signing student loans for college, feeling this is the only way to get a job, a good job, and be successful. Is it the people's fault that they are signing these contracts? Yes, but I do think there are situations where the chips are stacked against them, and the only way out is a one-sided contract, in my opinion. Nine out of ten times, I think Chappelle is on the money with what he says. At first, I thought that this post was a bit immature. I guess talking about Chappelle's Instagram post. He does point out that he signed the contract, but he seemed to play the victim card. I think some people may feel this complaint is ridiculous because of the amount of money he's made on his last few specials. However, the more I tried to read between the lines, granted I don't actually know, I bet this is emotional for him. He left the show when it was at its height and was publicly shamed. He went off the grid for a decade or so, then slowly made his comeback to being successful. Once he felt he was back at the top and not controlled by the establishment of Hollywood, they put the show that he created but still doesn't control to show they still have some control. Well, I don't think that's why they did it. They did it to make money. Uh, realistically, and that was me, my opinion there. Realistically, I'm sure Netflix and HBO wanted more content during the pandemic, but I can understand how that could be painful to Chappelle. I still think, generally speaking, the contract is the contract, but it's interesting when people big enough like Chappelle punch back if they feel it's unfair. You saw this to agree with Call Her Daddy, albeit very unprofessional, and they were met with numerous favorable 
counteroffers. Uh, similar to Pete, I have a group chat with a bunch of friends, and we discussed this. Moth said he's rich, move on, make another sketch show if you want, let it go. Myself and a few others, probably because we are such big fans, somewhat supported the pushback. If he's that big, he can do whatever he wants, and if he's big enough, he can push back on what he thinks is a one-sided system. Again, apologies for the long email. Uh, that comes from the Sultan of Duck Butter. Gangster Pete, I know it was long. I know it kind of moved around, and I know I was editing some of it. Not editing it, but trying to put what I think was some autocorrect into proper context for the email. Are you familiar with the story? Are yeah, you, uh, I, wa- I watched it, and I shared it on my group chat. Okay. So what is your opinion? What were the? Because uh, obviously you have a diverse, relatively speaking, as far as political opinions go, uh, group chat. What, what are your thoughts? What, are, what were their thoughts? Uh, well, when I posted it, some people thought that he seemed really bitter, and then some people... They respected it. I thought it was fantastic just because his his full talent was put on display there. He made he made that I think it was like twelve minutes. He made it so interesting and enthralling that something that I don't think is actually that big of a deal because like like some people said he's rich, he's gonna be fine, move on. But I mean, he's such a talented orator. I just I was enthralled by it. Uh I feel like he's kinda like Michael Jordan, like the people that are the best, they remember every single person that slided them along the way and it motivates them, you know, it stokes their fire. So I, I mean, I, I fully support his right to uh, try to get people to boycott the show on HBO. I mean, I don't think it's actually going to work or anything like that, but I like that he, he holds on to that grudge. He's trying to stick it to somebody that he feels did him wrong. And I respect that in a way. And I, I thought it was, it was interesting. I thought it was fascinating. I enjoyed it. So I am a fan, without question. I think he's insanely. I don't know. I don't know if anybody's even playing close to his level right now. Um, but I recall the first time this was brought. At least the first time I saw him bring this up was in his monologue on Saturday Night Live, the Saturday after the election. And it just was. It just was. It came out of nowhere. Uh, and I think as we talked about on TMA, Pete, I didn't think the monologue was that great for him. I didn't think it was that great for him. He is, it's like, so if, like you make the Jordan comparison. So like if Jordan goes out and scores 22 points, you go, oh, Jordan had an off night. Right. But 22 points for an average NBA player is ridiculous. So, um, so that, and, and I just, considering after this monumental moment in American history and it was still going on, I mean, literally early, like, like eight hours earlier, you know, Joe Biden had been. Uh, you know, media outlets had, had announced that he was the president-elect and, and Dave Chappelle has the stage. And I'm just like, God, I thought that would have been better because I thought his uh, monologue the Saturday after Trump was elected was incredible um, considering. But he brought up the fact that I think it was Viacom, CBS and Netflix were streaming his stuff. And I'm just like, where'd that come from? And that was just like, it was so petty. It was like beneath him. But I do like the Jordan comparison, both from the ability and the and the pettiness, because because Jordan's Hall of Fame acceptance speech yeah. was essentially just a line by line of everybody who had fucked him over. That's, that's what I was thinking about when I watched that. that. That's 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 what motivates him. So I have to, I think anyway, I think you have to. I think you have to. This is my opinion in order to analyze this from a legal perspective. And I'm not an attorney. Um, but more, I guess, from a principal perspective, take the fact that I'm a fan out of the equation. Take the fact that I think he is playing at another level as far as his mental capacity 
uh, higher than, than certainly most comedians and just most human beings at this moment. Um, and that I loved Chappelle's show. And when Comedy, Comedy Central still does air it, um, and, I, and I'll just, I'll just be like, this is so ahead of its time. Is because it wasn't really. I didn't think it was ahead of its time. If anything, it's you can't, you couldn't run most of those sketches in 2020, <laughs> which is fucked up. That we actually have gone the other way. That you couldn't run most of those sketches now. Uh, that you could in 2003 and 2004. It just was. It just was so astute, brilliant, and in kind of in a sense like Sasha Baron Cohen and holding up a mirror uh, on 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 topics. But he signed the contract, and that's that. So, I you know, and I guess maybe you know the person who wrote in the Sultan of Duck Butter did point out that I do care about owning my own content. It is something that I will go to the mat for uh, on owning TMA, uh, owning Inside STL, owning the archives of TMA, owning all of the drops of TMA. Wherever I go, as long as I'm the majority owner of Inside STL, the content of TMA goes. That's the way it is. That's why you hear drops from 1380 12 years ago still on our show. That's why you hear things from 920 still on TMA. And so we made sure to have that. That's why I have it in my deals now, certain things, because you have to have the foresight. And, and listen, the other side can say, well, we're not going to give on that. And I go, okay, well, then, then you're not going to have me. And that's fine. That's business. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, but, but here's the thing. I didn't own the content of the morning grind. I didn't have, you know, the foresight at that time actually did that, started that, that thing up right when the Chappelle show was going on. Uh, so you don't know, but starting in 2010, I do own all of it and it has value. It absolutely has value. Um, I mean, you know, Stern now owns his, his content and so he can replay Shows from, you know, the K-Rock days. You hear, you know, old shows played. It's, it's well, at least I believe he does because I'm, I'm hearing him on his, his channel. You know, we've talked about it. Uh, I'm not going to go into to, to specifics on it, but, I mean, it, it's, 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 he signed the contract. That's it. Just like I would expect to be paid and have to meet the terms of the contract, you know, that I signed with employees. you got to abide by the contract. That's the way that it is. And so I just, it's like, and it's not it's not beneath him because he's made a lot of money. That's results oriented. What if he didn't make a lot of money? What if he never had the comeback? They still own the rights to Chappelle's show. So, I, and here's the other thing. And this is this is specific to kind of new-ish Chappelle. I actually, and I know this is this is anti-Twitter, anti-Facebook, where and anti-Instagram, where he's like canonized. And so, like, if you want to get a like, post a positive thing about Dave Chappelle, and you're going to get a like. Want to get, uh, you know, want to get a like, post a negative thing about, you know, take your pick of, of whatever, you know. Uh, like right now, I've made the observation that right now I am, it, locally anyway, in the Joe, the anti-Joe Buck mode where it's in vogue to be anti-me. And I'm hoping that like Joe Buck has now experienced, now it's not in vogue to be anti-Joe Buck. You, you observe when people are kind of hot on social media and when they're not, Chappelle is, I think, as hot as it can possibly get on social media. And... So, therefore, it's like he could shit, hold it up on the stage, and people go, God, that was fucking brilliant. Chappelle said, this is where we are right now, and he held up his own shit. Because I'm watching some of the stuff right now, and I actually feel like it's preachy. 
And it's and it and it isn't you know like in people say he's like the next George Carlin and I think he's at I mean you know there are people been maybe perhaps at Carlin's level since Carlin, but I didn't feel like Carlin was ever preachy. I didn't feel like Carlin necessarily, you know, was was you know like people say this about Phil Mickelson, like he would almost rather have a tougher shot and bogey the hole than just play it straightforward and get a par because he wants to show that he can do it. And I just and I kind of felt like that's what the monologue was at Saturday Night Live. I, I this was like you know I felt like it was just kind of like poorly done, I, and so and so that's why when he said that about the 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 deal with Netflix and them airing his stuff and HBO, I'm like I don't really think this is this is principle. I think this is personal, and so people celebrating it. Because he's standing up on some principle, in reality, they're celebrating it because it's personal. And they can relate to just feeling like they were fucked over by their boss. Because most people in their lives aren't in a spot where they have a show and they have to sign contracts and have decisions or the foresight to own their own content. And, and so I'm just like, oh, he's doing it because he can not because he's got a bunch of money but because he knows Netflix needs him for their comedy specials and so that's why he can do it but let's say it's like Nikki Glaser and she had a show could she do that and she's an incredibly talented comedian but she's not Chappelle so she couldn't do it so it wasn't about principle so I saw this people like man he's a genius man there's nobody else like Chappelle and I'm like I agree with you on that but not because of this this to me is just He's pissed off that he doesn't own it, and he feels like they're taking advantage of the fact that he signed a contract that, you know, he wishes he wouldn't have signed. And well, I do, get it. Do you think people could learn from his story, though? Absolutely, to to to, to own their own content, right? So if I think, you can, I think, I think that's a valuable lesson in there. Sure, but I mean, I knew it, and I didn't have to see Chappelle's Instagram post to know that. You know, I mean, it, that that's the thing. You know, I mean, I, so it's kind of like just like I talk about with Mark Hanna, you know. I'm sure people have heard me talk about how I didn't necessarily piss away like an NBA player or something money in, in, in my, my 20s, but I just wasn't responsible enough to know the game. And, and I'm sure people are going, how did you not know you were in your 30s? What the fuck? Yeah. But, you know, you have a responsibility to take care of your own. And so, yeah, I'm glad now people may be aware of that. You also have to have some semblance of leverage to be able to get it, you know, uh, you can't just walk in off the street and go, hey, by the way, I know you're going to pay me. I also need to own this. People are going to go, what the fuck? I mean, that was that was he. this emailer brought up the call her daddy thing. Um, and that was, you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Pete, because we played that audio, if I'm not mistaken, Portnoy at the core said owning content is everything. Right. You know, and, and I know that. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, and I don't even know why, because it seems kind of weird, but I think Colin Cowherd owns his own stuff not like that's a show where you're going oh god play the colin coward episode where he you know picked the jets you know i mean I, <laughs> but but i uh, but you know it's just something that's kind of been understood as the platforms have become less important over the last few years the content and therefore owning it has become more important because essentially outlets just become distribution points for the content but the content, if somebody has an audience and they actually mobilize an audience and mobilize sponsors, the content's what matters. So, so again, 
I'm looking at it, I guess, in a way because I do own my own content and I know how important that was to me when it was something that I think when I first initially did it, uh, it was just something like the, the, the people on the other, and this goes back, you know, this, this goes back to shit, I think 2010, I think, I think when we did the deal with 1380 where they stopped paying us and inside STL started paying that that's when it started. Um, so like January or December, January 2010 or December 2009, right in there, um, to present day. So, and we've been at what fucking four different stops since. So I, so I, I'm, but, but if I didn't, you know, and let's say I were to leave TMA and I'd be like, okay, well, I mean, understandably, you know, and, and now, now whatever station is playing me, Doug and the cat from you know 2920 is playing me dug in the cat from 2014 and we're not getting paid for it i'd go well shit that that sucks but you know i don't own it they provided us the platform that was the deal that's just kind of the way that it is i you know i mean i wouldn't like it but but if if 920 now wanted to hire me back and give me you know now i had the juice and they wanted to give me you know whatever i go okay sure I'll play ball with you, but I need you to take down all those archives of TMA where I know you're selling advertising on it, and we're not, and me, Doug, and the cat aren't getting paid on it, you know? Or inside STL isn't getting paid, whatever it is, isn't getting paid on it. Um, you know, that's, 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 that's how, that, again, I'm talking about, you're talking about Dave Chappelle and, you know, the, the comedian of our time, the comedian of our time, and also a brilliant mind of our time, and drawing a parallel here. But... So it's, you know, we're talking the extreme form of apples and oranges. But the other thing is, is just in general, a contract, whether it's a contract on a lease for a car or a, a, I mean, that's just, and I get people say, well, you know, you're just at a disadvantage. You have to sign it. I don't know what to tell you. Then you shouldn't get in the deal if you're not prepared to accept the terms. It's just Dave Chappelle wouldn't be where Dave Chappelle is if it weren't for Chappelle's show. It's just, you know, I, I, so I don't agree that his talent would have eventually gotten that. That's not necessarily the way that it works. That that gave him a platform to put him in the mainstream conscience, even though plenty of people were well familiar with him before that. I remember seeing him at the pageant before Chappelle's show, and there was Half-Baked. Not that that was an Academy Award-winning movie, but I mean, he, <laughs> he had shit going. He was, he was on Letterman when he was like 20, I think. Younger than that. It was it was an eight. I was either eighteen or twenty because in that in that interview with Letterman, I remember them talking about that. But I can't remember if it was eighteen or twenty. Either way, I mean, he's just super young. So I I, lo- I love that this question came in because as I was watching the reaction to it, I'm like, man, Dave Chappelle. It's just like, and nobody really wants to push back because right now it's like one of those social media things. It's like you know, I mean, think of people in general on social media right now where they can't do anything wrong or you know that they're going to have, you know, a, an, a, like an army of people supporting them, like really supporting them to the point of attacking those who speak out against them. And Chappelle is in that class right now. So, and listen, I love the guy. His talent is in another world. It's just, I don't think that this was about the principal people supporting. I think they just like Dave Chappelle. And they're like, oh, this is really great. Except most of the people saying that have never signed a talent contract or been in a position where they're like, oh, yeah, I want to own my own content. So it's, I'm, I'm viewing it th- through a different prism. I would love to, by the way. I'm open to being wrong on this. I'm, it's not, I'm, I'm, you know, Chappelle's situation is there might there might be something <laughs> language wise that I I'm just not familiar with. Well, I agree with you about the contract part. 
I just disagree that it wasn't good because I I thought it was a great story. He went through different points in his life where he got screwed up, screwed over, and he held that shit tight and it fueled his fire. And I oh, I just I, I, I just love, love watching a great mind work. And that when I was watching it, I was like on the edge of my seat. I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with this point, but I thought it was fascinating. And I I loved it. I I, mean, I, I, I don't give a shit what social media says. I, well, I know. Yeah, that's one of your specialties. <laughs> I, I love I love because I can relate to it um, being motivated by either an individual or a slight. Yeah. It, it's something that it, that I have absolutely used. Um in a major way I've, I've got i've got a couple right now as i was saying to somebody <laughs> last week they're a couple and they don't even know that they're going to be on the mantle but i know they're going to be you know <laughs> they don't even know i mean i really do i really do i can't fucking wait <laughs> but it's not my personality to talk about it until i don't even after the kill they, they'll be up there and they don't know that they're there you know but that's that's the way. So I have no problem because you need that motivation. I mean, it's I think, you know, I mean, take your pick. You don't have to be it can be like your fucking D flight of your, you know, fan page club championship consolation match. You know, Bubba Watson, ball strikers. I apologize. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, 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 it whatever it is. So I, I appreciate that. I just I, so that's why I'm curious if there's something I'm missing on this, or if it just is. Man, I'm in a position now. My dick is big enough that I can throw it down on the table, and ne- I'm gonna get. I'm going to get, arguably, the most powerful media company in 2020 to kiss my ring, and I'm going to get them. Not that this is what he was thinking, but I am going to get them to take down my show. Not because they have to. But because they know that if they want to have me do more comedy specials for them, they are going to. And that's what I think it was about. And I get that. That motivate that that makes a mind fire. Because shit, man, obviously he doesn't need to keep doing this stuff. He's good. You know, he's he doesn't need the money. But um you know, if it gets him fired up, God bless. I guess, so here's my thing. My issue isn't with Chappelle. My issue is with the worship of what Chappelle posted in the sense that, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. He was wronged because he wasn't wronged. He wasn't wronged. He did what all of us coming up do. With the, we signed shitty deals because you don't have a choice. That's just the way that it is. He's just ascended to a point that, like, no one else ever will. Uh, and he can do something about it. So that's my premise. It's, it's, I'm taking it from a, from a principal perspective. And I think the judgment on it uh, was, uh, was more um, personal. All right. Uh, let's see what I got. Oh, this one's really interesting. Um, Gangster Pete, uh, I want to tell the people about uh, Jim Rogers of Restoration One uh, of Central St. Louis. Online at Restoration One of CentralStLouis.com. I am sitting in what has become my studio, which is my basement, and this thing was underwater uh, before Jim Rogers of Restoration 1 of Central St. Louis came by and saved the day. So I've used the guy, and uh, I know how good he is, and he is on call and will take care of you at a moment's notice. For any damage to your home, water or otherwise, mold remediation, Jim Rogers of Restoration 1 of CentralStLouis.com is the person to go to. So save the number, save the name and the phone, 314-888-5266, 314-888-5266. Jim Rogers of Restoration 1 of Central St. Louis 
Com. And by the way, uh, I'm getting, I'm, rarely do I get phone calls, but by the way, uh, I got a phone call from one of our salespeople at the station while I was sitting here. And then I saw he texted me, and he just texted me. And you know we had the new account on the uh, the show this morning, Gangster Enterprise? Pete? That's correct. And he said, uh, Connor just contacted me, and they got seven calls from the show already. Boom. Great job, man. That's that's the name of it. That's our that's our job. It's not our job isn't to get great guests. Our job isn't to our job is to mobilize the audience, the advertisers, and without the audience's loyalty to the show, we wouldn't have that. So to re, I, I, those kinds of texts get me more fired up than anything else. I love seeing that. So that's outstanding. So continue to support the sponsors. They make all of this possible. Uh, Seth Goldcamp, there's a guy uh, who me and you uh, know, Pete, and is a great guy and great is guy. loyal as can be to this uh, this uh, this show and the radio show, Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com. They are the official HVAC provider of the Tim McKernan Show. Veterans, nurses, doctors, law enforcement, firefighters, free furnace tune-up to make sure your heating system is operating safely this winter. No strings attached. No other purchase necessary. Design Air just wants to thank all these frontline workers for their extraordinary efforts in 2020. To schedule your free tune-up or get more information about the rebate, please visit designairservice.com. I am a client and couldn't be more happy with Design Air Heating and Cooling. Tim and Smoke, hopefully he's still there. See, there's one of the hopefully he's still there. There have been a few instances on TMA recently when you have discussed addiction in regards to gambling. I do not have personal experience with gambling addiction, But I believe the underlying brain science in addiction is very similar no matter what someone is actually addicted to. I have been reading a lot about addiction and specifically addiction to pornography as this is something I dealt with slash am currently dealing with. Disclaimer, I understand that you are pro-porn and I am not trying to espouse my views on if porn is bad or not. Just trying to share what I have learned about addiction and how it can affect someone's life. It all comes down to novelty. Dopamine levels surge for anything new, whether it's a new porn scene or fetish category, new bag of narcotics of choice for the user, new game to bet on, or new chance to win money in whatever game of chance the user enjoys. The problem becomes that wanting and cravings increase when pleasure or liking decrease. Addicts want, quote, it more, but gradually like, quote, it less. This leads to the perpetual chase for the high. The brains of humans have evolved in a way that make us all potentially susceptible to addiction. For instance, the same neurological connections that allowed our ancestors to react to cues or triggers and not miss out on valuable opportunities are the same connections that cause us to react to cues or triggers causing us to use whatever it is we are addicted to. Personally, I can see a very real change in my outlook on life when I am using porn versus when I'm on a porn-free streak. When I'm using porn, I'm pretty much a zombie just going through the motions of life. Everything is numb. There are no feelings, very little motivation, and the only real excitement comes when looking for the next scene, pick, whatever, to get off to. Basically, I feel stuck in a cycle that feels like I am powerless to get out of. When I'm not using, I have actual interest in things that I once found interesting. I pay more attention to my family and friends, feel invigorated and positive about life and the possibilities life offers. Sorry if it went on too long. As I said, this is just my experience and what I've learned. If you read this, I'd appreciate you do not use my name. If you'd like, you can call me Wilson. Love the podcast. Thanks, uh, Tim and Smoke. Uh, so there it is. So is there 
I'm not saying this facetious. I'm just I, obviously it was long, and I don't know if there was a question. Was there a question? <laughs> or is this just was there? Because I, I want to make sure I answered. I don't want to uh, blow past it. I've never ever uh, gotten an email or a phone call or whatever from somebody uh, who is addicted to pornography. But here we go. Have you ever heard of anybody being addicted to pornography, Gangster Pete? No, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Addicted to drugs, certainly. Addicted to gambling, yep. certainly. Alcoholic, certainly. Um, I mean, I've heard of it before, just don't know anyone personally. Yeah, and so, I mean, so here he is. He was kind of laying out what it's life, or it's, his life's like. When I'm using porn, I'm pretty much a zombie, just going through the motions of life. Everything is numb. There are no feelings, very little motivation. And the only real excitement comes when looking for the next scene, pick whatever to get off to. Basically, I feel stuck in a cycle that feels like I'm powerless to get out of. When I'm not using, I've never heard anybody call porn using. When I'm not using, I have actual interest in things that I once found interesting. I pay more attention to my family and friends, feel invigorated and positive about life and the possibilities life offers. Wow. Yeah, I, and I, I want to make this clear. I'm not I'm not mocking it, and I'm, it's not a case of not believing it. I certainly do because I've heard of it. I've just never heard anybody lay it out. It sounds similar to somebody when they're talking about being addicted to booze, you know, or, you know, a, a, some kind of drug. Um yeah, I think, I think like gambling. no matter what your addiction, it could be like food, you know, like yeah. whatever it is. That's that's kind of the cycle. That's how you're gonna feel when you're and in you're it. You're looking and you're looking forward to like the next meal, I guess. You know, whatever the case might be, or the next bet. I guess in a way, you know, we we're talking about vices on the show. And we were talking about gambling, and I guess in a way, you know, I can kind of relate to it because there is a when I used to play poker, and bef- like like walking from my hotel room down to the lobby to play in a tournament when I would be in Las Vegas, there'd be like this excitement, even though you know that of the 500 people who are making the same walk, all of you are going to get slaughtered, but one, but yet for whatever reason, you know, and so if you're betting on sports, there's this, you know, you, you at the very least, you know, there's a 50% chance you're going to lose. I guess maybe I'm, but I just, with DraftKings, I love it, but I love the the thought that goes into it. I love, you know, I think I might have on the radio yesterday talked about Derrick Henry, and like he had a game on Sunday where he, I don't even know, I think he scored three touchdowns and had like 160 yards, and how I loved the fact that I was on him and I knew most people weren't going to be on him, and I had a reason for being on him that I knew most people weren't going to be aware of, and that, to me, was a rush, even though, yet again, the Tam Avenue Capital Partners posted losses. Sounds like you're addicted to DraftKings, Tim. I don't know, but I'm not It's I'm not like, oh, my God, it's, you know, there isn't a game today. What am <laughs> I going to do? So, you know, and like, you know, and I, Jay said yesterday on the show, like, you know, saying I've been lucky enough that I never got addicted to drinking, even smoking. I wouldn't smoke like just during the day. I would just do it when I would drink or after having dinner, but never like, fuck, I got to smoke a cigarette. And I smoked a decent amount, which I can't even believe I'm saying. I'm so like, just what the <laughs> fuck was I doing? Do you ever smoke, Angster Pete? Uh, I didn't for the longest time. And then I became like a social smoker, like my senior year of college. Don't you just look back on it and like, what the fuck were we doing? Yeah. Well, now, now it seems really stupid. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no other way to, I mean, just, just like, I mean, just so just. But like everybody in my fraternity house smoked and I didn't all the way to like my senior year. And (laughs) then you got there. It's like, what am I doing? Oh, it's just so whatever. So, so, and then Jennings jokingly said, oh, porn. And I go, yeah, I 
I don't, I don't know. I guess I think, I bet there are people who think that because I talk about it and it's so surprising that I talk about it relative to other media people because it's, I guess, taboo. But I mean, when it gets down to it, I, kn- I mean, I, 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 I guess I'm the only one who really knows my relationship with my wife and, you know, so I, I know what's real and what a perception would actually be. Um, so that's, that's not, that's not the case. I don't, I think the only thing I could say I probably was addicted to was poker, but even that, I don't know. It became a source of making a living, not making a living. It wasn't my main source, but I mean, it really got to a point where it was a way that I made money. Supplemental income. It was, it's exactly what it was. But I guess when I was a loser on it, and that was like the end of 2004 through 2007, you know, if you're losing and you're playing all the time, are you addicted? And if you're winning and playing all the time, are you not addicted? I don't know. I, it just was something that I was confident I was going. Like, there isn't a doubt in my mind we are going to have a big score on DraftKings. And I know it. And I think the guy, I mean, obviously, I, I am waiting for a moment with these guys who are in this group with me. <laughs> and I think I think there are like eight. Where uh, somebody goes, okay, that's enough. You know? <laughs> I mean, for real. Sounds like you're all addicted, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I just. I, well, here's here's what I think it is for them. I think it's a fear of getting out. out. Yeah. Exactly. I th- I really think that's what it is because just this past week, what, I mean, it's, I feel like it's been. I mean, I don't know how many seasons there, or weeks there's been so far in the season. Of the NFL, like ten or eleven. It's been about half where. An hour in, we're winning five figures. I mean, it is, it's, and this week we were, even at three o'clock, we were still winning. I think we had $1,800 worth of rosters and we were still winning five figures. And then Tyreek Hill happened. And it was just like, if you didn't have Tyreek Hill, (laughs) you were fucked. And it's over, you know? And we had him on four rosters, but not the Derrick Henry rosters. So if you do the math, it's very difficult to have both Tyreek Hill and Derrick Henry and then probably paired with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, at that point, you have like $25,000 left for the other, all the other positions. Right. And it's going to be tough to get home. But anyway, um, so I think that's what it's about for people. So with, with the porn thing, I'm sure it exists. Um, and I'm sure it's been, you know, destructive to relationships. Here's something that I think from a female perspective, I've heard women say that it's detrimental to relationships because there is an expectation that all women look like this and that all women are wanting to do the things that people are seeing performed on uh, film. And I'll just, <laughs> I'll just come out here and say it, anal. It's, uh, you know, because in reality, I think that's sporting. really what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, in my mind, sporting always goes back <laughs> to bisexual. Uh, that's, where I, that's where my mind always is. Like, if you give me the choice of, of getting to engage in anal or getting to engage in an MFF, uh, it's the MFF. Gonna have to think about that F there, Tim. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Am I I on the more popular MMF or the MFF? So, from that standpoint, that's where I am. I think that's where everybody would be. I don't, I think, I don't know. Maybe I'll post a poll on the fan page. Maybe I'll come out of Twitter retirement for that poll and just watch people. If you got two good Fs, then yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would think it's obvious. But anyway, I digress. That's, I think it can set false expectations, but I can't imagine, and I, I guess I would follow up with this gentleman, uh, Wilson, and I'd ask this question, because we've kind of been joking about it with Iggy's vacation, staycation, like how many times he's going to pleasure himself. Is this a case where you'd be like beating off like 10 times a day? I mean, is that, I don't know, is that, 
is that what's going on there? I would assume uh, so. God Almighty! <laughs> I got here's where I am on that. Then I, that I that really does affect your life. Yeah, I mean, you are you are. I mean, we're built we're, we're building off of a supposition <laughs> here, but what a I mean I mean not only mentally and emotionally but physically I mean at some point there's there's, there's going to be some damage there and then what you go back to the well the next day so I mean he's talking about being like a zombie and then how life's so much better when he's not when he's not using is the term that he called well, if it. you think about any any addiction there's a physical toll no matter what it is yeah I I mean, I, I mean I, I swear, I mean, I kind of uh, was joking about it with the caramel M&M's thing. Have you ever had caramel M&M's? <laughs> no, I'm afraid to try them now. <laughs> it's, I mean, there was, because I track everything. Uh, Caller Ellen has uh, emailed me and said, you are so fucking weird. She, <laughs> she of course, didn't say it like that because she wouldn't talk like that. But you are so weird with the tracking everything that you eat and how often you work out and entering it in my fitness pal or whatever the app is that I use and I just do it, and I've been doing. You, if you said to me, "Can you tell me what you ate on January third, two thousand ten?" I can go to a spreadsheet and go meal by meal. It's. I, I listen. I recognize I'm. I'm fucked up. I mean, I am fucked up. I am in my basement, just rambling on and on, and uh, and, and it, I know it's. I know it's very, very strange, but I've never been at a spot where I'm like. God, I've, I, I know I just I know I just pleasured myself five minutes ago, but fuck, I've got to do it again. So I can't relate to that. But also because that sounds like you're mocking it. Whereas alcoholism, for example, is kind of in the safe space of of addictions. You don't mock an alcoholic. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I could see people mocking somebody who says they're addicted to porn. Uh, I don't know if it's safe to mock somebody who's addicted to gambling. I thought. Remember Stephen Wildwood's email about being oh, yeah. addicted to gambling? Holy shit. Um. That's scary, and uh, and I've kind of feel like I've gotten like I've gotten a little taste of it. Like how many times would I come in and bitch to you guys that God damn it, I don't know why I bet on these games because all it does is piss me off, and and now I spend time watching games I don't care about, you know. And it's one thing if like you're in a pandemic and you can't do anything, and it's just a fun way to kill time, and you're not betting anything that's going to screw your life up. But I think about that stuff, man, and it is it, it is, but it is a rush. There is a rush, probably the dopamine, before you get the you, you you're about to start the poker tournament, or you're about to get your hit of whatever shit it is that you're on, or you're heading to the bar, or you're you know finding out that people aren't going to be on Derrick Henry when you know he's going to have a big game. I guess there's I don't a know. new I, menu item at McDonald's. There's a new <laughs> menu item at McDonald's. I kind of feel like my caramel M and M's were there for me. Yep, it yep. was a weird thing, and and I haven't had them. Uh, or certainly, it's if I have, it's been like you know maybe once a week because I was just like, okay, this is getting to be a problem, and I think it was probably just like, I don't know, like four or five hundred just empty calories and probably like a hundred grams of carbohydrates, and I would eat healthy throughout the day, but then we would finally get Jameson to sleep, and I'd be like, I'm now going to reward myself by just eating nearly a bag of caramel M&Ms. And it's just like, what the <laughs> fuck? And I'm kind of helpless against this bag of caramel M&Ms. This is recent shit, man. This is November 2020. And, you know, here is my wife who has like, you know, I don't know, I mean, just an absurd shape. And she's given birth. And she's sitting next to this just hideous fucking creature anyway <laughs> that she's trapped with. 
and here I'm just pounding <laughs> away uh, at my uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, and I wouldn't say anything, you know, but it had to just be appalling. Your maybe mouth she's is just, full. <laughs> yeah, I'm just so just, I, I couldn't look for, I mean, and, and by the way, it, it isn't that way with other M&Ms or the fudge brownie M&Ms. It's the caramel M&Ms. And I've had a few people tell me I've got a thing for the caramel M&Ms as well. I think White Castle has something in White Castles that has some kind of addictive trait. I don't know what the fuck it is. Zach's sauce at Zaxby's has is like crack. Oh, boy. That's Zaxby's. <laughs> that sauce, man. You when are we going to get one start in thinking St. Louis? About it. Are there any in like the St. Louis area? I know we have one in Columbia. There's two in Columbia. Uh I know that they were originally just trying to keep them all down south, and then Columbia got them because they got an SEC. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I would, oh, I would well. like one, but also I'm kind of glad there isn't one. Because you'd be all over it? Yeah. I, God, I would be. I got I would, some I ruts with Saxby's when I was living in Columbia. Oh, I would so be. I got it some ruts. You had, oh, but that you went back to, that wasn't when you were in school there, like original school. Right, right. you could have them there that soon, right? No, was no, it was uh, when I was after working the there. After Yep. Uh, now, here's one game. This is the one that I read in advance that I'm going to have to ask you to abstain from. Uh, I'll try to navigate <laughs> it. But it is it is in part uh, complimentary to you, and then there is a question. But uh, we are not going to be able to answer that at this moment. All right. Uh, hey, Tim and Smoke, uh, I wanted to write a quick email to say a big thank you and job well done to Mr. Gangster Pete. Thanks, man. I have thoroughly enjoyed your contribution to TMA and your wares, as in your merch. Uh, your links always had me laughing, and you're giggling like a schoolgirl with a definite <laughs> highlight of every show. What I really loved most was your undeniable love for St. Louis and fighting back against the negative stereotype, earned and unearned, that we have as a town and region. Since moving here four years ago, my wife and I have fallen completely in love with St. Louis. Nice. We tell each other every day how happy we are to be here. We stick up for the city any chance we have when friends back home try to disparage it. Yes, we know there are problems here, and we'll take a lot of work by everyone to overcome the obstacles, but I truly believe we can be better. Thank you for helping lead the charge. I hope the best for you and your future endeavors. Now that you're leaving, can you tell us the email that got you in hot water with the <laughs> station inside, station and inside STL? Where the hell did I come into this? Uh, having to help, oh, inside STL having to pay part of your, uh, <laughs> inside STL being an individual. Uh, you will be missed. That's Jake, not from Kirkwood. Thanks, Jake. At some point, we will tell that story. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely want to be here for that. At some point, we'll tell that story. I, now, at this point, I almost feel like it's being built up, and it's going to kind of be a letdown. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a, a situation that we – you know, but the, listen, there have been a lot of situations. Pete, you've only been a part of for uh, two and a half of the, the 16 years, and I'm sure you've got enough now that you could, <laughs> uh, you, could, you could tell plenty of stories and probably have told plenty of stories. Uh, you know that you that you've seen and so on and so forth, but that's just kind of part of the deal, and it's the price that we pay to keep the thing as uh, together as much as possible. I uh, I suppose, um, but yeah, that one was uh, that was that was uh, the way I'll describe it as unfortunate. Knowing <laughs> I didn't that even we were going see to, it coming. <laughs> I didn't either, and I I didn't either. I mean, holy shit! Uh, yeah, people. It, yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything you would like to say about it all while realizing we don't want to say too much about it? No, I mean, there's nothing yeah, I can add. That's right. <laughs> You're choosing wisely, but I at least wanted to get the ball in your hands. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, this is kind of a 
uh, kind of a uh, – I'll ask. Let's see. Maybe maybe it'll lead to a good conversation. I don't know. Hey, Tim, and hopefully smoke. I mean, I'm literally reading those words. So, Would TMA be a better show or a worse show without FCC guidelines preventing the use of vulgar language? In other words, would TMA be a better show if all members of the dais were able to cuss kindly the Eureka urologist? I'll answer this first. My opinion is I think the show would be worse. I think the show would be worse. What yeah, I, I mean, I, I could definitely see that. I think it forces you to be more creative with your choice of words, which actually adds to the show. Right. I, and that's my reasoning. You're exactly right. You summed up. I, I gave my answer, and then you mimicked it with a with a way of explaining it much better. That's it. I, I, I think uh, in both, or at least I know I've read one of his books. I don't know if he's read, written two since going to series. But Stern talked about it. They were all excited about the ability to say fuck. Right. When they got to Sirius, and then he said it, and he's like, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. And part of the allure of his show was that they were pushing up against the line and sometimes crossing the line, and the audience was in on it with them, and maybe he'd get in trouble and maybe he wouldn't, but he was so big that they couldn't really fuck with him because right. they knew he'd pop up somewhere else, so it didn't matter, and then it became... Like, I say fuck on this podcast, not even thinking anything <laughs> of it. And I remember there was one email after the first one, um, the first time I said fuck, I guess probably on a question from the audience. Maybe it was in an interview with somebody. And they're like, wow, it was weird to hear Tim say fuck. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I guess if you've listened to me and, and never heard me cuss, I guess, but anybody who's been around me knows that that's just how I talk. I talk about it and, and, and talk like this in front of my parents. Talk about talk it, say it in front of my son, which actually has gotten to a problem now because he's saying it. And I have to now stand up against the, the word <laughs> fuck, even though I don't believe in it. Yeah, you know? I got a lot so of I, friends in that same boat. Oh, is that right? Okay, yeah. so people can relate to this. So he, you know, and now he, he just says it so casually that <laughs> then he realizes he can't say it. And he'll look out of the corner of his eye to see if I heard him say it. And it sounds and so I, cute when they say it. <laughs> that's right. Because he's just like playing with his fire truck. And he's like, this fucking thing. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> I go, Jameson? <laughs> Did you just say it? And God bless him. <laughs> we have the honesty policy. Uh, nice. And he goes, yes. <laughs> and I go, you know, and then we go into the whole process. And it's only because of really school. Because otherwise I'd be like, yeah, I don't fucking care. You're I just don't get care. daddy in trouble. Yeah, I don't really care. I mean, there's a, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, I just, I totally disagree with it. Doug and I have had this, and I don't want to say we've had it out, but. It's it's a word. It means nothing. It means nothing. But in but dogmatically, we all go, oh my god, he said fuck. It means nothing. It has zero impact on it. It's talking about an act, an act that all of us enjoy. You know. So what are what? But it's been this is that people lost jobs over this word. You know. It's so fucked up that <laughs> this is this word has been given this power. It's the strangest damn thing. But whatever. I know I got to dance. So I dance, but all of the other lessons I give my son, I mean, I seriously mean them. And some of them, I'm sure, are lessons that other parents wouldn't necessarily either give or attempt to give. At, you know, he's three years old. But I feel strongly about certain things that I want him to know and, and have it, you know, in his mind as early as possible. But not saying the word fuck is not one of them, but yet I still have to preach it. So, I, you know, I'm like fraud media guy giving a take. 
when it comes to talking to my son about fuck, you know, because it got to a point that he was saying it too much <laughs> because he <laughs> hears it so much around here. So uh, with with respect to um, the show, yeah, I think I think I think part of the tee hee hee is I can't believe that this quote unquote sports talk radio show is talking about this topic, whereas now if that wasn't there. I think it would lose some of it. It, it. I mean, still, when it gets down to it, it's the it's the people and the audience's involvement that that makes it. But I, I yeah, I do think it would be. I don't know. I, I don't want to say I kind of like not saying it, but I, I, like, I do kind of like it. I th- I like the dance. I think the dance. Is yeah, good. I guess it's kind of like the like somehow, and I it's almost like talking about a no hitter. I don't like saying it, but in the whole scheme of things, now it really doesn't matter. Like whereas maybe ten years ago it would have mattered. I like the I, well. Of course, I like the fact, but I I I somehow haven't said it on the radio, and I have no idea how, through all of these years, nearly two decades of doing radio, that I haven't said it. Whereas I say it so casually in conversation, and even in at my parents' house. Now, I, now with Anna Marie's parents, I don't say it, but with my family, I do. Just like and even in texts, like I'll text with my parents and say <laughs> it. You know, I mean, it's just and so I don't know. I don't know how I'm able to turn it off. And but I yeah, I, I, I like the fact that we can't say it uh, on the show. And I guess I could do the dance here, but I'm just word vomiting on the podcast. So, um, you know, as I've always said with regard to interviews, um, I always like when somebody accidentally says the word fuck, yeah. usually fuck or shit, uh, and then catches themselves because that means that person has gotten so comfortable yeah. that. The, the filter is down. That that to me is one of the great uh, tells. Uh, Doug Doug wouldn't say it. Doug really doesn't cuss in general. I don't even know if I've, I'm sure I've heard him say it, but uh, very rarely. <laughs> I don't think uh, I have. Iggy obviously obviously has <laughs> does. Um, the cat actually's got a little in him, but you know not not to like my level or Iggy's level, and obviously the Plowhawk. Um, so. Yeah, and Prodger, I'm just thinking of people over the... Even the Sea Monster would get fired up here and there. Uh, a different kind of fired up than, like, Prod Joe's, like, whiny fired up. But he'd get, <laughs> he'd get, he'd get, his, uh, he'd get his dander up here and there. But, yeah, I got, you know, it's a good question. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. It doesn't really bother me. I think, here's what I think is a general principle, and so I'm going to kind of redirect it. I don't know if this time will ever occur again. I think it will, but I don't know if that's my heart or my head answering it i want to get back to a time where people can opine and not fear that they are going to lose their jobs and essentially not only not be able to continue to work but never be hired again right and that's not that's not precluded by the fcc that's determined by the court of public opinion slash social media that is what i live in fear of way more than accidentally saying fuck on tma uh, that, that, that is, that's, you know, I mean, that's to me because I think the byproduct of it is people are afraid to honestly give opinions for fear of being labeled, take your pick of whatever label it is. And that brings me to this. And I doubt you're familiar with it, Gangster Pete. And I'd be curious of it, but part of me wanted to post about it, but I'm like, I wonder if this guy has considered this or that. But it's, I saw him on Bill Maher, and both Anna Marie and I, did you, uh, do you watch him regularly? We've talked about this, right? You like Maher, you don't like John Oliver, am I right? Uh, I enjoy Maher. Mar. I, I, 
don't like Oliver. Okay. All right. Seems like a one-trick pony. All right. So, um, with with respects to this, he was on, I don't know, a few months ago, and I thought, God, I don't, I don't know if this guy's a conservative, liberal, no idea. It doesn't matter. He's making really valid points, and they're astute points. And um, I, th- I don't know what his, I know he, I think he is. Uh, part African American, part Puerto Rican. I think that, and I'm doing this off of off of uh, memory because uh, I, I went to read up on him. His name's Coleman Hughes, and he has a podcast called Conversations with Coleman. And he was a guest on Bill Maher on the panel. Um, and maybe you'll, as you're, I can hear you searching for him. Yep. When you see when you see him, I don't know if you'll remember him from that episode. No, I don't think I saw that one. I don't watch uh, all of them. Okay, uh, but. I was just like, this guy's pretty good. So then I went and subscribed to his podcast. And I'm sure there are people who are familiar with him, and they immediately have a label for him. My guess is he is unpopular in some uh, quarters of either the liberal community or the black community because he doesn't fall in line. He's of African-American and Puerto Rican descent. Okay, so Conversations with Coleman is the name of it. And a podcast, I still have 25 minutes left of it. I've listened to about an hour, 10 minutes, and I just I can't get enough of it. Uh, sometimes I'll have podcasts on in the background, but this is one I wait to just be alone in the car. And since I never drive anywhere, that's why it's taking so fucking long to get done with it. Um, but it's the guest is Andrew Sullivan. So here you have, and I don't know, Coleman, both of them voted for Biden. But I think both of them are conservative, which I realize might sound like an oxymoron. But we go back to what I was talking about with the fan page. I think you have more people on the fan page who are actually conservative, but they were so just whatever with Donald Trump that they may have voted for Biden or they, you know, voted for Trump reluctantly. So both these guys voted for uh, for 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 Biden. But usually they would be considered, I think, it's certainly with Andrew Sullivan conservative. He's a gay man. I think he's around, I would guess, late 50s. That would be my guess. And he's on Mar a decent amount as well. He's a conservative. But they both look, you know, they're just they're not pro authoritarian. And that was their whole premise on this operation. 57. Uh, and I always think he's brilliant when he's on uh, Mars as well. And again, a conservative, as is Coleman. And they're just laying these things out. And I just, I, Pete, I, I know you enjoy these kinds of podcasts. I'd yeah. really be curious what you think if you listen to the, his interview with Andrew Sullivan. And it's from like a day after the election. So things, as I guess they are now, but Biden hadn't been officially announced as the president-elect. I just think there's, there's so much in there that is so, and it's not like you got to be, you know, Came out November twelfth. Okay, I'll check Sullivan. It out. Yeah, man, I'd really be kind. I know you're. I know you're going away, so we don't have a whole lot of time to it, and I probably wouldn't discuss it on TMA. Uh, but um, it's not like it's okay. You know, I, I, Coleman, I know is considered. They're both considered intellectuals, but Coleman's, I think, like in his early twenties. Um, and the reason I bring this up is it's not like you have to be firing on that kind of. You know, I think he had some kind of award at Columbia University and Sullivan, the poli sci, you know, wizard from um, I can't recall what university he went to. The point being, it, it, this this is they're not speaking in big words and it's not going to bore you. I think I think I th- what I would tell you is this: it's common sense. It's common sense. But they have already been labeled as I mean, to be a gay conservative, to be a gay conservative, uh, that's usually an oxymoron. But as Sullivan talks about, he's Roman Catholic also. Uh, there you go. To uh, a lot of gay men, they were tired of being demonized. And so Trump actually saw an uptick 
uh, amongst uh, gays and lesbians, actually. But he said in within Coleman was asking him to theorize on the, on what the reasoning was for it. And he goes, well, my guess is a lot of men are just tired of being told, okay, as a white man, you're the bad guy. And you're like, well, what the fuck? What did I do? You know, I know where I am. I know I'm anti-discrimination. But now you're going to discriminate against me be, just be, because I'm a white man? I mean, fuck that. Here I am. I've been anti-discrimination all my life, but now it's in vogue to shit on white men. And so the same thing that you've been hating on, now you're going to practice? Fuck that. That's where I am. That's where I am. I'm not saying this is, yeah, it's time for us as white men to stand up. You know, that's not where I'm saying. I'm just saying I'm anti-discrimination, period. Don't really think it's a cutting-edge take. But, you know, so here you have an African-American slash Puerto Rican gentleman who's young guy, 30-plus years, younger, uh, and he's, you know, he is, he, I guess he got criticism for saying he's not in line with the Black Lives Matter movement, not because he is of the opinion that black lives don't matter, but because he believes that Black Lives Matter is built on, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I realize this is a significant uh, paraphrase, uh, but that Black Lives Matter, in his opinion, is rooted in the premise that racist cops are just out there killing or harming black people and uh, for sport, and that's just not what he believes is really going on, and therefore he is not just going to subscribe to the movement for fear of being labeled, you know, take your pick of whatever he would be labeled. Uh, and I'm just like, well, this, is, this to me, it's healthy to have these conversations, but it's also dangerous. So now I can talk about fucking, and I can say the word fuck, and I can talk about going to strip bars, whereas 15 years ago when I was on TV, I, I couldn't have said these words and I couldn't have done that stuff and all of that. And I could have probably had these conversations, but now it's flipped 15 years later. Now you, now it's risky to have this conversation, but, but I can say fuck and all that stuff left and right. And, it's, and I want to get back. I would rather not be able to say fuck, but be able to have open conversations and go, yeah, okay, this is interesting. You know, I'd, I'd really be curious. I guess I'll post it on the fan page and, you know, people hopefully will listen it's high risk but i'd really be curious what people think if they listen to it um because i think both are conservative in their principles but they certainly didn't vote for donald trump and they give their reasons but then they also i mean really it's it's a it's you know it's just and it's not i want to call it's like a shot back at the media because that's not what it is it's just it's kind of thinking through the problem and going yeah this is also fucked up and here we are we gotta you know we're at risk of alienating people for just saying things that are actually common sense so i pete i, I big time always respect your opinions when you listen to these things so i'm anxious to hear what you're i'm downloading opinion. it yeah now. you i think i'm curious what you think i don't know uh i'm very curious what you think of it all right there it is uh an hour and 40 minutes of questions from the audience it is in the bag thank you so much to all of our sponsors all the emailers uh, for this very special edition, Gangster Pete, hopefully still part of the podcast, but obviously you'll have a, uh, a job that will require being the uh, the, the primary focus. Uh, <laughs> so you can't just pop in at uh, 1030 on a, a Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning. Yeah, that might be prime time. <laughs> that's probably that's probably not going to work out. So we'll maybe adjust it how we do it. But uh, thank you so much to Munganest. Thank you so much to Jim Rogers, Restoration One. Thank you so much to Jamie Burkhardt, Clayton Patterson, or Munganest. Thank you to James Carlton, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Ryan Kelly, Seth Goldcamp. You all make this podcast possible. And thank you to the great Gangster Pete, the swan song of Gangster Pete as producer of QFTA at the very least. 
Uh, Gangster Pete, it has been a pleasure. I have already enjoyed doing QFTA, but when you hopped on board, it made the thing even better. So thank you, kind sir. I appreciate it. It's been fun. I appreciate you having me on. God bless America. Ladies and gentlemen, there he is, Gangster Pete. You're always welcome to send your questions, comments, anything you want to say for uh, Gangster Pete. I'll forward it to him. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been questions from the audience on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studio. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.